Hello everyone and welcome back to What Would The Smart Party Do? Here in this apocalyptic wasteland, I'm joined once again, <laughs> as usual, by my good friend Baz. How are you doing Baz? I am your battle Baz. That's my playbook. <laughs> oh my God, good. I like that. Oh no, I just thought of that. Honestly, I haven't been planned at all. Hello mate, I'm very good. I'm, I'm feeling quite energised, I think we were just saying, before we hit record. We've, just, we've had an evening, haven't we? we? We've had a delightful evening. In the company of the ebullient Vincent and Meg Baker, who had some great things to say, great insights about Apocalypse World and other games. But it was, it was really cool to speak to those two, and they just get really get into the weeds of it, don't they? They like really tell you about the nuts and bolts of how a design game works. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it, we're, we're well over a hundred episodes in now, and our loyal listeners will know we always do a mix of chat and and, and interviews, and we've got a pretty good back catalogue. We're very proud of it. But the, the conversation you're going to hear tonight kind of takes me and goes back to why we started this podcast in the first place. It was the kind of conversation you have after a game. You poured yourself something you fancy. It's the wee small hours. There's a couple of you left and you're just chit-chatting about this, that and the other and basically solving gaming. Uh, and that was the conversation we had with the bakers tonight. Goodness knows they're entitled to have their opinions on gaming as, as the co-authors of Apocalypse World, amongst many other incredibly influential games, Dogs in the Vineyard. We talked about their new game as well, and I think you're going to get a real kick out of listening to our conversation with these guys. Yeah, I, do you know what? We need to get them back on again. I've just realised now we didn't even ask them about Dogs in the Vineyard. We didn't get that far. I know, right? I know. Time flew by, but yes. Also, there's games like Poisoned and Murderous Ghosts and all kinds of stuff we didn't get into. So, <laughs> if you do, if you do enjoy this podcast, let's call it part right? one, shall we? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I definitely think you should write in and tell us. Demand no less that we get uh, Vincent and Meg back on again because uh, it was a really great chat, and I'm uh, sure you'll enjoy what's about to hit your earbuds. Roll plus charisma. And so here they are, Vincent and Meg Baker. Welcome to the show, guys. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. One of the first things we want to ask about is Apocalypse World. That spawned, I guess, well, some people might not even know about Apocalypse World. They know about Powered by the Apocalypse. It spawned like a whole array of games and other things that come out of it, all manner of hacks and their own business. When you first made Apocalypse World, did you think that was going to be a seminal product that revolutionized the gaming <laughs> landscape? <laughs> don't, don't. Don't tell anybody, but yes, we, we yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, of course you did. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was part of a design community. We were part of a design community, and so as I was as I was getting together the very first prototype playtest material for that. You may not know, Meg and I uh, publish our games together, work on our games together. Very often, what happens is one of us starts a game and then brings the other person in. Basically, as soon as we have something right. that we've like knocked together in a Google Doc, or we've had enough thoughts while driving or something to like, okay, here's what I'm thinking about. As soon as we have something that we can show, because um, so much of, of a game is in the, the conversation in how can I explain my thoughts? Um, and we have to have something to, to point to and say this, here is how things work. So yeah. And so, so I was doing that with them. I started showing that stuff around the very first prototypes of the playbooks around I got to see in it. fall. You did in fall of two thousand and eight or so, and it was almost a race to publish. By the time 
by the time we were publishing Apocalypse World. John Harper was already working on Blades in the Dark. and uh, Adam and Sage were working on Dungeon World. Yep. And Avery was working on Monster, Monster Hearts. Hearts. And, and Mike Sands was working on Monster of the Week. And they um, came, so, Tremulous came out at about the same time, too. So, so Apocalypse World came out in 2010. And the next one start, came out the next year. Yeah. You know? it, by it by 20 or 11, 2011, yeah. there were five, four, five, six of them. Yeah. And part of the thing with the way we were designing a piece of that was like, these are useful concepts. And part of it came out of our conversations with Emily Care Boss and, you know, all other designers locally that we've been in community with for years by that time. Like, okay, we're doing these things that are interesting. These might be useful. Yeah. And so definitely there was a piece of, let's write this so people can really understand it because it might be useful. And so by the time we published that, yeah, we saw what was coming. There yeah. were there were already four or five games that were going to come out the next year that we knew about. Because it seemed unique in a way that I think it was around the time a lot of other independent people producing games as well. That we had the collective dev in the UK, so you had Dragon yeah. Hutton and you kind of like doing three sixty mm-hmm. games yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. tomorrow, all that kind of stuff. And Rich Stocks were doing Umlaut, and there's there's all these kind of other games that were kind of flying around. And um, Rich, who did Umlaut, one of the questions he asked me at the time was, "You as a GM, like, can you write down those things you do?" I was like, yeah. uh, uh, that's quite tough. But for a fairly apocalypse world and all that kind of stable of games, it, 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 in a contradiction perhaps to D&D and other things that have gone before, was mm-hmm. a, this is a manual on how to play this particular game. Although right. some of the concepts are useful for, and you can definitely apply them more broadly. Was that sort of like conscious thing like this has got to be a manual for how to play the game? Yeah. 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 At that time in 2008, 2009, when I was writing that original text, trying to figure out how to write down what the GM does and how to provide actual useful instructions for the GM. Mm-hmm. I say the GM, but there's there's obviously not a single GMing. You know, the, there's schools of GMing and then individual games dem- have their own demands and stuff. But trying to figure out how to communicate. Particularly, I remember hitting on agenda principles and uh, rules, agenda mm-hmm. principles and moves. Mm-hmm. and going, I think I've solved it. I think I can write this. I, can, a, can I just write this? There's a, lot of, anyway. there's a lot of process that's like, you know, turning over an idea and talking over an idea together and being like, and finding the right language to express what we're thinking of. And then you know it, we know it when you hit like, oh, it's your agenda. You have an agenda here and it's yep. to do these things. And that agenda is based on these principles of what you want out of this experience. Got it. Now I can, you know, shape that thing of like writing down what I'm doing as a GM because that's so tricky. Mm-hmm. It's really challenging to write down what you're doing as a GM. Yeah. Especially if, you're, if your goal is to communicate, here is how I'm doing it in a way that I think you can probably do it too. Like that's, that's very challenging. It's kind of amazing that anybody is ever able to write any game text rules actually, <laughs> because there's a level of an intersection of technical, you said this a couple days ago, of technical writing and evocative writing that is really challenging to get the technical writing across with the evocative feel that makes you want to do it more and not have it just be a textbook. I would even say impossible. Yeah, it's close to impossible. When you get down to a word level, it gets quite tricky, doesn't it? And uh, yeah. I think one of the 
one of the many innovations in Apocalypse World is is literally the terminology that you use for stuff that had been, if you're a veteran gamer, had been knocking around for decades beforehand. Mm-hmm. Something as what now looks so simple as not calling it a GM, going with an MC. But I think fundamentally as well, things like like calling it moves, which is, you know, was that a deliberate callback to maybe like what people think about when they're playing Monopoly or, or chess or things like that? Because th- there's a level of plain speaking in there in, in the way that you write to the potential people who are going to play the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. they. Um, so the, the story is, and the, the true story is that at Gen Con 2008, so this would have been July or August 2008, um, 316, Gregor Hutton's game 316, really polarized our community. And a lot of us liked mm-hmm. it, and some of us could not figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I took it home and devoured it. The next day, wrote the the Brainer playbook for Apocalypse mm-hmm. World, right out of reading 316. And, you know, I'm writing it longhand in my notebook, and I'm going da 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 And I, I come to the part where I say, you know, um, to create your Brainer, choose your name, your looks, and your moves, you know, and just float out, and it just that was the it's like the, oh, obviously. obviously you choose your moves, yeah, yeah, obviously you do. Oh, and you get all the basic moves too. Yeah, but like we didn't know what the basic moves were yet. Yeah, um, <laughs> and and like I was I was really positioning it as a game, like you say. I was thinking yeah, about yeah. games. A lot of it in my head was about video games. Although you don't call them moves when you press the A button or the B button or the triangle or the X or whatever. But I was thinking about, you know, running left and right and jumping and ducking and um, And like sequences of action. This is a discrete sequence of action that achieves a goal. Yeah. That's that's one of the things that perhaps coming from a more traditional background, some people I would suggest perhaps struggle to get on board with that you have specific moves. So it feels a little bit like pressing X or triangle or whatever. Yeah. But then you say specifically don't call out the moves just go with the fiction kind of thing so that yeah like so the game we're so we're about to two weeks two weeks from yesterday is our is our pdf release date for our new game under Holland hills which i've been spending the the week Here, pull, you can, it's uh stacks of paper we have, literally, we have literally two the, the manuscript is sitting over there right but, there in um, manuscript it's ridiculous in that game we're calling them plays Play. And the terminology is, how do you want to play this? What's your play here? Do you want to play it safe? Are you making a play for it? And it's worked incredibly well in play. Like you pass those those mm-hmm. sheets over to the players. And I say as the GM, hey, uh, what's your play here? And they go, oh, well, I'm going to I'm gonna put him off. I'm going to confront him. I'm going to size gonna, him up. I'm going to ride know. disaster down. I'm going you know? to weather the storm. Yep. And I think moves, so yeah, like some people don't, don't want role-playing games to be games. Um, they want them to be something else. And that's fine. They can have role-playing games that aren't games. They can, they can do whatever they want to do. But for Apocalypse World, it's a game and you have moves. And you, like when you don't know what to do, you look at your sheet and you choose a move. That's fine. But I'm that's, totally comfortable with that. The piece that I think there that's really important though is the, the when you don't know what to do. Because one thing that happens sometimes is people look at Apocalypse World and or any game, any PPTA game that has a playbook and has moves and things like that. And they look at that and they feel constrained as though, though these are their only options. Right. To me, that means that somewhere in that game, something has been miscommunicated or perhaps 
that's that designer's intention that like this is the only thing you get to yeah. do but in apocalypse world it's for when you're not you know when things are you don't quite know or like something's uncertain right i don't know how this is gonna go so i i feel like that's a, like a a, sh a shift uh, you know a, a, like point of view or bringing it into focus thing that people need to understand to play apocalypse world say this is you're just doing stuff go do whatever you want to tinker with things all day no problem do that but if you're gonna you know do this one thing there's a move for it because it's extra cool the other secret is they're just subsystems other games yeah. call them subsystems like there's a, <laughs> an archaeology subsystem and a, a animal handling subsystem that's all they are. <laughs> Well, you see it in any game, don't you? I run a lot of convention games, and you could be playing whatever game you want. You ask players what they want to do, and the heads go down to the character sheet. Yeah. So it's looking down the list of skills for what it's like. No, just tell me what you want to do and work it out. You know. It's... Yeah. Yeah. But I think people are just conditioned to go. Like, what can I do? What am I good at? I want to do that. Like, what's what's my best skill? That kind. Of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. One move that I guess is contentious and gets asked about a lot, and, and certainly at conventions when you've got a bunch of middle-aged white dudes all sat around together is when you tell them they might have to make a sex move immediately everybody gets awkward certainly in britain i don't know if it's like in the US, so. <laughs> just for our listeners could you explain what the concept of sex moves is and why we no. shouldn't be frightened of it yes yeah you, I, you shouldn't that. be frightened of them they're um, they're fine one of the things that's important like in our background is that i'm a sex ed teacher for seventh through twelfth grade students which i don't know how that matches up with forms in the uk but 12 to 18 year old students and for me having the having the sex moves the special moves in the apocalypse world was a way to introduce commentary into the game and into the conversations around the game that your character is an entire complete person and that that includes this aspect of their lives and how they engage with that and if they do you know, it's not like having the sex moves in the book to me, in the playbooks to me, isn't saying, and you must be sexually active. It's saying, as you're thinking about your character, how they, how, how that part of their reality exists helps inform other aspects of what they do. Um, yeah. And like for, for your listeners who have not looked at the game and don't know, don't know mm -hmm. what they're like. They aren't sex moves. They're um, they're relationship moves that really like. They say if you and another character have sex, what's an example? Well, like the the battle babe who just doesn't care, or the driver who's like, if you and your another another character have sex, that's cool, but you're out of here. Nobody owns you. You don't really have you know it because you have it, it, it's it's re reveals something about you yeah it, it's they're they're designed to sort of change or charge or not change or not charge those relationships it's not a blow by blow of sex oh, acts or anything like that, that would like be it's, creepy and it, weird. it would be weird like you you can fade to black long before the event and then next time you see the Way characters wrong. they're acting weird you know yeah. next time you see the characters it's clear that something went down but yeah you know the the Gunlinger is walking around with a spring in his step or whatever. Yeah, it does. It's, it, it's not. <laughs> and and they're just you know genre tropes. So we we watched a lot of Firefly. If you look at those at those um, character special moves, there's nothing you haven't seen on Firefly a yeah. hundred times. You know. Yeah. You can you can pick out which character. Well, like when we... Keely tells Anara, "Oh, go have good sex." It's like 
how sweet is that? Yay, you know? So it's it's just that so that's the thing about the about the sex moves in apocalypse world for your listeners is it's it's just another way that I'm looking at if if one of our premises, uh, you know, one of our one of my principles as an MC is to make the world seem real, and another principle is like to call things by their names and like be like they make things seem concrete and like always address the care the players you know, by their character names. And this is part of how I'm creating space, you know, holding space for this game to happen that is a time out of time different space than our normal rock walking around space. So in our normal walking around space, I might, you know, I'm going to call you by your normal walking around name, but here I'm going to call you by your character name and I'm going to make the world seem real. And part of making the world seem real is how is this aspect of your character? And just like regular ordinary human beings walking around in the world, in the real world, it's not something that is usually part of our everyday experience. We could have wonderful, long, huge, fulfilling relationships that last 40 years with people that we see entirely with our clothes on at conventions or at work or whatever, but it does inform who we are and how we are and how we navigate the world. There you go. So Apocalypse World is, is obviously about many things, but from everything that you've just said, it's if it's about anything at all, it's about relationships. Yes. And it's got that level of genre trope on it too. And you you can't watch the kind of genres we're talking about here. You can't watch them. You can't read them. You can't draw them without getting involved in those kind of relationships. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Is that is that a central part then of like trying to mirror or trying to emulate the fiction that you want to see at the table? And it needs to be about those those relationships and those triangles between NPC and player and maybe another player. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The line on the back where it's like. The, the key to the game in for me is that line on the back where it says, what do you, you are the ones, and I said this, uh, you know, when Vincent and I were talking about this question of like, what do we, what do they do? We have these characters, what do, what do they do? And I'm like, okay, here's what you do. The world may be full of other people. There may be all kinds of other stuff, but you are the ones who have any vision to make something of this. What do you do? What do you make of this, re- re- this like sort of rough refuse, this, leftover bits this not enough this scarcity of everything right what do you make of this the, the old ways are broken down they're gone so what do you now, make of now is our moment to make something and so in that it's like intrinsically about the connection and the relationships between human beings and what do you make of it together and if it's the four of us and we're the ones who are like okay whew, but you know one of us has got some sort of technical skills and one of them's got a, a little medical skills and the other one's got a little bit of like, well, I know some where some resources are. Let's stick together and see what I we can, can make of it. I can shit with my brain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so you're, you're spot There's on. There's always one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, and it's all about compromises. Those those PC, NPC, PC triangles, all those all those character triangles. Those are designed, set up, you know, and all the all the moves are set up to put you in a position to compromise and to to get for you and somebody else to both get what you need if you can if you if can you let can negotiate if you can share vision if you yeah. can if you can uh, yeah and also that there it's dynamic right when you when if you reach a stable triangle that, that's it, it it can be static like okay we've made our thing this is what we're doing and. The idea of the relationship maps in Apocalypse World and the NPC, PC, uh, you know, those two different triangles, one with the two NPCs and one PC, which is harder, 
PC and PC PC triangles, is that those are that those are in flux. You have to keep them in mind as like these are moving points, and like there are other how, how do they intersect? And when pressure is a point uh, is applied to one, you know they're not. It's not iron bars that connect them. It's rubber bands, and you know you have to keep moving them around. And I love doing. Um, maps, relationship maps that use sticky notes so I can literally move them around. I'm like, all right, you're over here. Oh, no, nope. oh, that's interesting. And I do that in my prep time between sessions. Sometimes open that notebook up and, and just like randomly move somebody and then see what that says to me. Like, huh, what if that's interesting? Okay, cool. You know, because that's another thing of it. It's like, what is interesting to me as the, yeah. as the MC? Hey, mice is joining the water cult. Huh. Did not know that. Okay, mice. <laughs> Let's see what you're up to. Yeah. yeah definitely. So without without really sex moves, talking about an ex-girlfriend of mine, what I found interesting was a triangle that she had with her mum and sister. Yeah. And it was always two against one. And it's yeah. fascinating going around the house and just watching this, like, and it was never the same two. They always looked like a yeah, yeah. like a dance. Yes. I was like, well, this is like Apocalypse World. I was just going to say, yeah and like once once you start seeing that sort of thing and, and like you can watch movies and you read books and watch friend group interactions and you can see where the triangles are and when someone's making a move or not making it gets a little weird <laughs> but, can i tell a story about you and your mom oh sure meg grew up playing with her canasta uh, playing mom. with her mom playing games with her mom and her sister playing canasta which is a card game i don't know if you know um, yeah. And so one of the things as I was getting to know Meg and becoming involved in her life, one of the things was um, uh, that we would play Canasta together because that was her family thing. And so they were extending this invitation to it me. Very it, was, gracious. it was very nice. It was very nice. And, you know, I like games, so I'm enjoying playing Canasta with them. And they're laughing and joking. And, and you grew up, you grew up playing games with your, you have, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, a ridiculously large number of siblings. So yeah. it wasn't like you were new to games. No, of course not. And like, and uh, you know, in, in fact, as we're playing Canasta and they're laughing and gossiping and joking and always winning, you know, I'm I'm working very hard to figure out this game because I love games and I'm very curious about games and I want to I want to see how they work. Yeah. And so I figured out you know canasta 101 five or six hands in or whatever and i won a hand and it was like without a word they were like the new kid does not win and they went dead silent and they're just like bam 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 beat the crap out yeah, of me united was... as one meg and her mom it was fun <laughs> it's all fun and games until someone wins a hand <laughs> exactly until the new kid wins but part of that, but part of that, to be fair, part of that is also that my mother is an exceptionally good canasta player, and like so, you go from playing, you know, it got to the, be the point with my family, my mom, my sister, and I, that we play canasta over dinner, like a, some families would play Uno, you know, just because it was like, you know, just something to do while you chat about the day, and so having somebody come in and be like. Oh, you know, she was like, "All right, cool. Time to learn. Right, now, time to learn how you do." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't just. It wasn't just. Yeah. Beating up on the new guy, the boyfriend. Every day's a skill there. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. interesting how we talk about stuff like Canasta or any of those other games, and you can say that uh, someone might be good at those games. To use your exact word, they could be good mm -hmm. at games. Could you be good at role-playing games? And and does Apocalypse World make you better? I I have so many opinions about this. Are you ready? 
Um, you top ten. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, top ten. Is top ten opinions or reasons. Top ten opinions. I, I have one opinion about this. Um, you can be good at individual games. I don't think role playing is a thing. It's not like chess like, is what you're saying. You know, as a defined thing because there's no, so much no, no. I'm, I'm saying apocalypse world is like chess, and being being okay. good at chess might make you. Apocalypse world is not like chess. Chess is very cool. Apocalypse world is fine. It's a good game, but it's it's not. A thousand years old, or however. I'm sorry, chess is. I didn't mean to derail you. No, no, no. Saying that. So, like, being good, good at chess game. can make you good at some other games and make you bad at some other games. Right. And being good at Apocalypse World can make you good at some other games and can make you bad at some other games. And that's that's no different. I don't I don't think there's such a thing as being good at role playing games because I think they're all different. And I think that you know if you're if you're good at a do I call it a school of role playing games? If you're good at one kind of like philosophical approach to role-playing games you know it may not necessarily translate then you're good at that mm -hmm. but that's not the same as being good at role-playing games i have a that's the same as being good at some role-playing games at, at this kind of approach to role-playing games or whatever i have um, a different insight well i i need to give my other yeah, example go, do it which is that you know the the game hearts the trick-taking game hearts and you know the very closely related trick-taking game knaves the it, you score the game slightly different uh you get a point per hand that you take unless it has a jack in it in which case it's worth negative points or something like that wow, okay. um and so being good at hearts means you're terrible at it because you overvalue getting rid of you just mess it up taking taking tricks you yeah. you try to to lose and being being so i think it's the same with role playing games that you know being good at apocalypse world might make you good at other games, but it might make you terrible at different other games. <laughs> I have a different. I, I also think that many role-playing games are kind of ambiguous, and that playing them as though they were Apocalypse World might be better than whatever they say. But... <laughs> okay. Don't... Or don't say. <laughs> or don't say. Mostly don't say. So Maggie, you've got a different opinion. Yeah, I you? do. I think I think that the I think that what we sometimes can value about good role-playing or bad role-playing is is less about the game in particular although i think i agree with everything vincent said you know learning how to learning a set of rules and being able to translate that correctly you know not correctly but like effectively into um entertaining play together is a skill and you can learn how to do that with any number of independent different games but i also think to baz's question about can you be good at role-playing so to be good at role playing, I think that there's a couple pieces there that you can be good at, that you can cultivate as, as, a, as in yourself. And I think it's not about role playing. I think it's about interpersonal communication. I think it's about understanding when to step, like understanding stepping up and like doing the thing, which is sort of what we were talking about in the chat before of like, if you're just like, no, I'm just here doing my thing, you're leaving your GM and you're leaving your fellow players hanging, like no one to step up. And then when you've stepped up and done a thing, step back, you know, share the spotlight, make sure that other people at the table have gotten the chance to do something cool in the session. All those other things. I think being good at role playing is a thing that we all want. You know, we want to play with people who are good at role playing. And part of that means all of that stuff and also like knowing how the rules work and knowing 
how to help people if they're if they're confused about a rule and how, without that being crappy, you know. <laughs> so I, I feel like then there's a, like a third piece which is about storytelling, really, and that's about like saying evocative things, which is extremely hard on the fly, and so that can be something you can cultivate, you can study in yourself. Like, how do I do this? And I really recommend nursery rhymes. This is the best thing. You take a like, what's Baz, you have a 10 year old. What's a, what's your favorite nursery rhyme or a nursery rhyme that you remember of recent? Oh, three blind mice. Three blind mice. Okay, that is perfect. So take three blind mice. See if you can tell it for an hour. Um, even if you're just telling it to yourself in the car. I'm like, okay. It feels like it. <laughs> yeah, right? But I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious here. Like, okay, so you have time that I did that most recently. It was three old jazz musicians, and they were talking to these young bucks about, like, this club where the, you know, this, you know, this, this hatchet-wielding, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and like, oh, you know, and we crept in there, we climbed in there, you know. You just find a way, like, all you need is a teeny hook. And then you embroider and embroider and embroider and expand and expand and expand. And so if you want to become, a, you know, if you want to strengthen that skill in yourself at telling stories and, and you know, speaking evocatively, especially speaking extemporaneously in evocative and colorful language, that's a thing you can practice. Yeah. Apocalypse World says to, to cultivation. Cultivate, cultivate an imagination that's full of apocalyptic fact. Yeah. And I think that that. Yeah. And so I think it's not an inherent thing. It's, you're you're it's not fun. inherently good or bad at role playing. I think there are you know, folks who've spent more time trying to wrap their head around those three different skill sets of like interpersonal stuff and really understanding the rules and like, then how do I translate that? So, yeah. Yeah. I think um, to answer Buzzy's question as well, although you didn't ask me, I'm, I'm going to give my opinion. <laughs> I have plenty of opinions on this as well. I think that's uh, something that certainly Apocalypse World and games of that uh, genre had. Is it, uh, some of it's explicit, whereas perhaps in, say, the Player's Handbook for 5th Edition D&D, &D, it doesn't tell you to share the spotlight as much. It's not mm -hmm. like written as clearly. It tells you, you know, over many pages how to make a paladin. But there's less about, like, how to interact as a human with other people around a table and that kind of stuff, which is, I don't know, I guess it's assumed that you would do all that. But, like, if you don't put it in the book that new people are buying who've never read it before... yeah. It, it must yeah. be odd. I don't know. I guess for for all us, we've played games for many decades, so a lot of things will seem natural. Yeah. I think it's important what you just said and how, like, one of the things that I think designers can do now, and sometimes myself in included, can accidentally narrow the scope of their audience in their mind. You know, like, I first was playing D&D &D when I was seven and my GM was ten, you know? And we didn't flinch at any of that. We were just cool, read it, go, you know? And that putting those tools that you just outlined about like share the spotlight and and like make sure everybody's got a chance to contribute and you know maybe step it, step up and step back and all those things are things that we can to our benefit make explicit in rules text in a way that's inviting. And I think that's another huge key is, you know, tell people what you are encouraging them to do and what you're incentivizing you're saying this is cool do this stuff um, is a lot goes a lot further than like never do that so what well, one question to ask is is apocalypse world 
a good starting RPG for people. So I guess a particular spotlight at the minute will be on Avatar, which is, yes. I think the current Kickstarter is up to about a bajillion dollars. That might not be entirely... Almost right. 10 million. Yes. Yeah. It's some ridiculous number. And a friend was telling me, I don't know where he got his figures from, but he reckoned that about 70% of people backing it were new to game. Yeah. How he got that figure, or what, yeah. I don't know, based on some survey. But, but like, so for, for a large number of people, they're going to be picking up Avatar as which is Powered by the Apocalypse for people who don't know, as their first game, rather than perhaps a lot of us older folk maybe played D&D or Traveller or RuneQuest or something. Like, how advantageous is it, or how different is it? How, what, what's your opinions on picking up a Powered by the Apocalypse game as your first role-playing game? Mm. Well, so, uh, I don't know if you are aware of The, the Forge, um, which was a web forum about game design. That's where that's where I was hanging out in the, the years before and through writing Apocalypse Run. We used to worry all the time about bringing new people into role-playing. We used to worry about that mm. quite a bit, think about it. And like how to, and if it was okay to, and what would be a good intri- intro game, and yeah. Yep. And our friend uh, Epidiah Ravishaw and our friend Brett Gillen and I took our games to a horror convention. <laughs> it wasn't a game convention at all. It was a horror movies mostly, but a horror fan convention. And we had a fantastic time. We sold literally three games, three individual you know, transactions. It was the worst convention in our history, but it was... In terms of sales. In terms of sales, but it was so eye-opening. And from, from that day, I decided personally not to pursue games that non-role players would play, but instead games that you could play with your non-role player friends. Right. So ah. for yeah. for my games, for our games, I think, but certainly for my games, you've you've gone a little further yeah, afield with some have. of your games than I have. But for my games, I never expect I, I always expect there to be somebody who's a role player in the in the group already. Mm-hmm. Um, I never expect a a fresh group, a, like an un, a table of people that naive, never picked up a naive in the in the medical sense, you know, yeah. an unexposed group to to pick up one of my games. So that's so. I know that PBTA works really well to play with your non-role playing friends. Mm-hmm. I know that, like that happens a lot. People pick up a so there, any PBTA a, game that's like does a, the sort of genre or the type of story or has a slant that you and your group are into. To, that could work for you. Like there was a, a Twitter poll, you know, completely randomly came across my Twitter that was what was your first three, what were your first three role playing games? And I was shocked at how many of how many people said Apocalypse World. Yeah. And how many more people said different PBTA games. But you were getting old. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that that works, but whether you know I think it's a, a 14 year old who's never played a role playing game who bought the Avatar game, hoping it would be available on PS5, and then they get the book, you know, what that becomes at their group. I have no idea. I have no idea. I hope they have a great time. I hope they do too. And I and I think PBTA has a good shot at it. I think that, like, we designed those systems on purpose to be accessible. Yeah. And I think that... For designers and players. Yeah. I mean, I know I would rather see a PBTA character sheet than a D&D character. No offense, D&D. Lots of you know, love. Um, over here now. That, that gives me a lot more 
excitement about what's going to happen in the next hour or two. It gives me sure. direction. It gives me something, someplace yeah. to start knowing where I'm going, you know, yeah. and th those were all design decisions that we made on purpose to, to make it accessible and to make it exciting and to, to capture like to, to, so there's, there's this moment that I think about a lot where we're sitting around and we aren't playing yet. And then there's this moment and then we're playing and how the game gets us to that moment and through that moment yep. is really crucial I, to yeah. how the game picks I up. I think about this a lot. Yeah. Like that, how, how you, how, like the, the stages of going from ordinary, regular, everyday life to like the, the crux of the, like the, the, the piece that you talk about six months later yeah. of that session and then back out again. Yeah. I think about that a lot. And in, I've, thought, I've thought about that structure of experience extremely carefully for yeah. many, many, many years. Yeah. And so we did our best to make that happen. And I hope that it, I hope that those, those avatar fans get that experience. I hope they do. I mean, some are going to, there's the, that many people have bought it that some are going to get the experience, right? <laughs> 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 it's a numbers game. <laughs> yeah. I think that, um, I think that, uh, I was aware of you asking two different questions there though, which is, is Apocalypse World a great first role-playing game, a good first, uh, role-playing game and is pbta a, a good first role-playing game sure. and i think that um given the sheer uh number of pbta options yes absolutely go for it have a pbta game be your first experience cool i think that vincent's right about apocalypse world you know if there's someone in the group who is a role player and is like oh this looks cool i can run this then you're in better you may be in a better space but I, I have no qualms about somebody picking it up at a convention as they're like, I've never played a game. This looks really cool because I love everything about the aesthetic here. Can you tell me about it? And I'm like, yeah, uh, you get to be a total badass. Sometimes things go catastrophically wrong. Go. And they're like sold and they walk away happy. <laughs> Can I ask then, what is a Powered by the Populist game? So yeah. I'm going to I'm going to open myself to acting under fire because um, <laughs> we, sort of, we talked we talked to John Harper about this when we interviewed him and like in his head he was sort of saying that really if you're rolling the two d six and you've got your trinary outcome that's kind of PDTA and I was kind of I was more coming from it like a lot of the game for Apocalypse World is in the text of the game not what dice you're rolling yeah. so clearly John's right because he's John Harper and I must be wrong but I'm going <laughs> to throw it out there anyway so like. What, what qualifies as powered by the apocalypse? Is it just the dice mechanic? Is it? Okay. Oh my God. Okay. We have a whole. So, um, thing on this. so there's, there's, there's two things here. Okay. So one of them is that there are no rigorous definitions of that. Like nobody can speak with authority to that point. Except us. In, instead, <laughs> we're all in a position to say, let's talk about PBTA games by which I mean, and then we lay it out and then everybody knows how to participate in the conversation. And that's fine. And it can be, let's talk about PBTA games by, by which I mean, mean playbooks and, and moves 2d6, right? You know, or we can let's say, playbook, we'll let's talk, talk about PBTA by which I mean agency and consent. And then uh, we're by, by which I mean the, the conversational model of role-playing. If you want to call your game PBTA and use our logo or our word, so so there is a way in which two people in the world can speak with authority on this on this question if you want to use our logo which we own then your game must 
have been inspired in some way by Apocalypse World and you want to recognize that inspiration by using our logo. And as far as I'm concerned, I mean, and then, that makes then, your game PBTA as, as far as that logo is concerned. And, and anybody who is like, that's not a solid definition, that is the definition that is, that is essential to getting that logo. So they can take that up with me if they want to. I mean, but, and then you have um, to email us and say, hey, I made this game. It's powered by the apocalypse. Can I get the logo? Right. But, yeah. but anybody who says that the correct definition is, is playbooks and moves, they got to get with me about the logo because the logo, okay. that's not the definition that the logo goes by. Yeah. And is it a little bit like asking mum and dad that we ask one of you, do you say no, we go to the other one and say, come on. Um, <laughs> don't, don't worry, we'll, we'll take care of that between us. You'll yeah. ask one of us and, and, and we'll say, hey, do you want to give the logo to this game? And, uh, and, we'll, I, I and, like... and we will say literally, does it valorize fascism? No? Then okay. yes, of course we want to give the logo to You heard it here first. Actually, it better not be first. You know, if you make a game that valorizes fascism and you want to call it PBTA, we're not going to give you. You can't logo. have our logo. Have you had to say no? I mean, no names, no petrol. But well, have you once. had to say no once? once. Wow. Yeah. And you've said yes about a thousand times. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, hundreds, I, hundreds, of hundreds of times. I love. I like seeing what people do just because I think it's cool, and I get invested in people. Like if some, if someone writes to me and says, "Hey, I'm working on a Powered by the Apocalypse game or a game that you know." And I'd like to get the logo and you know, what do you think about that? Like, I have to hold myself back from being like, oh, how can I help? You know, because I, I love that part, you know? And so I wind up, if someone writes and says, this is this game I'm working on and it's PBTA and can I use the logo? Sometimes it's like, sure, here you go. But if they, if they, if like, and by the way, here is the attached file. Odds of me opening that file are in, like over 90 you know mm -hmm. i'm gonna look at the thing and i'm gonna be like hey this is cool let me know when the kickstarter is so i can tweet about it or whatever i like like one of the things that ha for us is that we coming up came up through the forge and through our community here which you know is very much about mutual aid and support and very much about like trying each other like helping play test each other's games and kicking around ideas and getting together over coffee and going I can't break this problem, uh, you know, or like, you know, bouncing around stuff. And I, I still have a lot of that in, in like my design headspace. So new designers yeah, saying I mean, we've gotten to keep doing that. Because yeah, that's, it's that's what happens. really cool, you know, and so it's great for me when a designer says, I was inspired by your work. I made a thing. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so excited to see your thing. Can I see your, it's so cool. Look what you made. You know, I'm very excited by it. Um, and it's, it's not out of a sense necessarily. It, like it doesn't have any sort of like grand dame of games sort of thing. It's not that. It's just like awesome because that reciprocity is what this is all about. Like back ages ago you know when at the forge and you know, that's how we would communicate with each other as designers it'd be like you would you would raise a point and you know i'd play test a game that you'd made and i'd be like okay i think i think this different thing and i'm not going to be able to explain it to you unless i show you so he, he, here's this thing i made you know that's how we communicated so i like very much still being in, in that vibe but as far as Powered by the Apocalypse, what is Powered by the Apocalypse? Really, that's the landing part. A game is powered by the Apocalypse 
if you drew inspiration from our work. And then if you... Which have, yeah, which comes to, if the creator says it's powered by the apocalypse, yeah. they can, like it is. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to say, no, you weren't inspired enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that. But importantly, nobody else gets to tell you that. Like, if, if Gaz comes down and says, I made a game, it's PBTA, Baz does not get to say, that's, I don't really, that, that's, I don't, that doesn't, that, that doesn't have playbooks, that doesn't, have playbooks. That doesn't it use 2 possibly, like, no, the designer of that game is the one who gets to say, this is, well, they're, they're the one who gets to come to us and get the logo. Yeah, exactly. Damn it, Harper's right. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. I have to tell you, John Harper and we have been talking about this for twenty years now. Yeah. So like, not, shouldn't shouldn't surprise you that that we said the same thing. Yeah. John Harper. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the collective endeavor they mentioned recently. That the the thing that always used to amuse me about them is they were kind of, people would come and say like, "How do I join?" Like, "How you know what's the pro?" And they were like. If you don't know, you're in the collective endeavor. You're not in it, and that was as simple as that. And <laughs> all you needed to do was say, "Like, I'm now part of this group." But like, nobody, yeah. people are always looking for like where the gate was, or trying to like where yeah, the password, yeah, or yeah, the yeah, door yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no gate. <laughs> Please come play. There's no gate. I'm like, come on. And the, the other thing that you're really good at doing in, in all your products is that you'll have a long list somewhere of all the other games that have inspired you. So you might mention 316 and Mountain Witch or like, like I say, half a page worth of just all the other things. Yeah. And that seems in, as Baz pointed out to me recently, bought a, a Games Workshop product and that just now says by the design studio. There's literally no names on it whatsoever, which is a bit freaky. Almost, mm-hmm. you know, like Newspeak or something where you're kind of like sponging bits of history, but. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to say that I, I certainly appreciate it. I'm sure everybody else does that. You, you know, yeah. if you've taken an idea from somewhere, you say, "This is where I got this cool idea." Oh, yeah. heck yeah! Credit where it's due. Absolutely, yes. And also, like, I love a good bibliography. You know, please tell me what sources you ins- were were inspired by, and I'll go look at them. The same with anything else. Like, if it's it, you know, if you put out a piece of music and you list it on your album, here's the things that I was inspired by. Do I? I'm gonna go look for that because cool. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I doubt very much I've ever read any book that wasn't listed somewhere in a role-playing book first. Mm-hmm. Or you follow that chain, don't you? You know, yeah, the author yeah, yeah. of that book says uh, they give you a little bit of cover blurb for another one, and you just you just follow those avenues, and you end up in some really weird places, and sometimes mm-hmm. you circle back on yourself again as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like Exxon Arneson and Appendix N have got a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So one of the questions we've had from our loyal listeners, a good friend of the show, Guy Milder, um, he was asking, how do you do a good one-shot for Powered by the Apocalypse? Because some people who aren't you two will grandly say, you can't have a one-shot of Powered by the Apocalypse. You have to run it for at least six sessions, otherwise you're not doing it right. So I I recently answered this question in writing, so I can give you a link to that when this is done. Um, What you do is you hand out the, the playbooks, you first of all, you very carefully choose the playbooks you want. You bring you you bring the seven or so that you want to play with. You hand them out. You choose somebody and say, okay, somebody's got to be the chopper or the gunlogger, and that person is the person you address first. And you say, okay, you are tied to a chair. You know, a chair like tied to it. You're in one of these gigantic cement cisterns. Yeah. What's your name? Here's the place where you write your name. And then I'm like, okay. And then Dremer comes in. He's like this gang badass from the the neighboring hardhold. He's so gonna. Great punch the the hell out of you uh, he's, he's got like a 
a crowbar or something, I think you should read a situation. To do that, you're going to have to assign your stats. So go ahead. Here are your stat selections. Go ahead and do that. Everybody else, write your names. Start thinking about your stats. And so you by by 45 minutes in, this character's finished. Uh, and, and and then I say, okay, while while um, the gun lugger here is assigning your stats, uh, you two know that they're in the cistern. You're coming from outside. You're the the Skinner and the chopper, the chopper or whatever. And so we set up that situation. By an hour in or 45 minutes in, we have these characters who are in motion and they're they're completing their playbooks just in time for what they need. And this then, is something. This, then, then after about an hour or an hour 45, so this is a four hour con slot. So before the two hour mark, for sure, you say, okay, that was the first session. We're going to, we're going to break for 10 minutes. I got to go think this is like, I've been, I've been going really hard. I need to drink a water. This is ridiculous. What you, what you people are making me do. I love it. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to like, let's take five minutes and then, oh, but first we have to do the end of session stuff. So we do the end of session stuff. And I so say, when we, when we come back in five minutes, that'll be session two. And we'll do the beginning of session stuff for session two. That is how you do a one shot. It works great. It took us a couple years to figure that out, um, doing them at conventions. Yeah. Because like a four hour convention slot is a standard. And in the design of the game, yeah, it beautifully sings if you can do a 12, a 12 session arc or something gorgeous or whatever. But this four hour thing, after a couple of years, like it really did take us a couple of years to figure out, oh, several, this several. is how it goes. As opposed to starting, as we say in the book, which is like, Right, you know, everybody has a character sheet and trying to do all the character creation and all the session zero and things like that. Like all that stuff works great, love it. But if you only are going to do a one shot, there's yeah. this other way. The other, the the final point of doing a one shot is to not try to wrap it up and on a cliffhanger. That's that's what you're shooting for. Yeah. And something interesting you, and dynamic, you know, and then I, a year I'm, later you can play more if you want. I've been accused of being cynical about that because. You know, I have a financial interest in people taking the game away with them from conventions. And so, like, that cliffhanger serves me well. But I actually think that cliffhangers are literarily satisfying as yeah. well. That, like, that, you know, uh, wrapping the story up with, a, a, tidy with a tidy end is great. And people want that out of con games. But cliffhangers are, are the next best thing for player yeah. satisfaction. Yeah, I, what you I don't think. want is to have something that either that artificially it's like well we only have half an hour left let's just rush everything you know that's not satisfying yeah. or things that figure well we'll get as far as we get and like don't have a yeah. you know don't end in a place where it's exciting you want to leave a, a one shot excited about how you'd spent that four hours you know and cliffhangers are cliffhangers are great pretty good well, I have to say, I'm appalled as a game designer that you're trying to sell your game. That sounds a outrageous <laughs> thing to be doing. Yeah, I was at this horror convention years ago, and there was these designers there. I, think I had to buy one, and I think I made for two others. They wouldn't go away. But I think also, in one of the things for in terms of how we developed this um, convention game is that one of the roles of a convention slot is to give people a really good flavor like what's the feel of the game yeah. and like like gas was saying at the beginning and like how neat it would be to play a one shot with us which i think would be great um or even a scene is to give you that feel of it and if we 
and in a one shot or if you're playing a one shot with friends who don't usually play role playing games or don't usually play PBTA giving a one shot experience that can hit all the cool stuff of like here's how character creation works here's how the stats work here's what end of session is here's what start of session is here's that's great that's a, a more of a like oh that's kind of what it's like than than other options no anyway yeah but I, I will say it's not as good as playing for 12 sessions. Like that is true. It's, a, it's, it's hard work and it's a way to do it in one session. But yeah. A lot of people go to conventions looking for, like, I've heard about this game. I don't necessarily want to buy it or get yeah. involved for uh, right. three months. Like, can I just get a taste of it and find out if it's for me or not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. which is completely legit. And I, yeah. I, I think that's, that's smart. And I also, but it, it does take, it takes more... It's, it's harder work as the um, MC to do that kind of one shot. And I think for some players, yeah. it can be harder on them because we're used to the, the time spent where we all make our characters together and things like that. And so it's, there's a little bit more work at the beginning to say, trust me, it's okay. You're chained to a chair. It's gonna be fine. What's your name? There's a guy here. He's gonna hit I, you. I, I do not say it's gonna be fine. I say drummer. He's like red in the face, and he's got this crowbar, and he's hitting the door, and then he's looking for something else to hit, and he sees you. No, I know. And like, there's stuff coming out of his mouth. You know. I love doing that, and I love doing that, and making. You should read a person. Yeah, I like doing that scenario and making drummer really nervous, like really freaking nervous like and then eventually it's like his job is to watch you oh. yeah. <laughs> like Ugh. you know because people who are really nervous on edge they no, can I like be to, unpredictable i like to bring in the mind control satellite in that oh, yeah, particular that's, that's scenario good. that's a good one too Trevor's like it's my birthday i have a mind control satellite can you show me how it works <laughs> so you've obviously got this down and you've got your styles but as you've run it i guess you've done this one shot more than once you've done this a few times each and it's doing the same thing is it possible to have like the equivalent of an apocalypse word module, like an AD&D thing? Could you write that down for other people? No. With maps and stuff? Like one of my favorite things is, you know, there's always a Skinner or a Battle Babe, or if there's not, a, or, or a Brainer, there's always somebody where, you know, somebody reads a situation and they ask, who's in control here? Mm -hmm. And I, as the as the GM, turn to that player, the Skinner's player or the Battle Babe's player, and I say, is it you? Yeah. And they go. Yes or no. So Not yet, <laughs> but it's completely <laughs> true. Like, I am not in control. Like, the the those players are in control of how that scenario so goes. And, like, my dumbass Dremor, even though it's his birthday and he's a mind control satellite, like, he is not... He is not, not in control. control of this situation. One of these friends. So to your... <laughs> Poor drummer. Friend. <laughs> but to your question, Buzz, there's a piece there, like, there are, like, were we to write that out, it would be that what we've told you, you know, this mm -hmm. opening bit, right? Open with things already, um, you know, open in media res. Things are happening. Things it's, are dynamic. Um, things are going. Don't open with them all in a safe, tidy place altogether. It's, but it's from too, there, it's too dynamic. It's, it's two triangles. It's yeah. it's Dremor and you tied to the chair and the mind control satellite or whoever's behind Dremor or whatever is in, on my mind over there. And then it's you tied to the chair and Dremor and your friends who are coming to. So it's, and so it's just those two triangles is all yeah. you start with. And then you like the 
this is a, a scenario we've run, run a lot for groups of like three and four players mm -hmm. tied to chair, two friends over, two friends over here trying to get there and like maybe one other person somewhere. Like I've done it tied to a chair, somebody outside who can't get in and like, you know, what? Yeah. If, the, if there's a hard holder, they actually have a lot of decisions to make on their yeah. playbooks. So they can do that while this situation is unfolding, you yeah. know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. You really choose by the playbooks. Yeah. And like, even though this is a question we've dealt with for 10 years of like, is there a mod, can we module please acres? Why not? It's because it, it's so reactive to what the players are are providing you know and it's so like that's where i want it to be i want i want you as the mc to be constantly looking at your players and they can be looking at the character sheet but i want you to be looking at them mm. and having that back and forth um that's so that's why that's why there's not a module Yep. Much as I love maps, oh my goodness! Like I would love, like here's the maps. I've made so many maps; it's it's ridiculous. Maps is, yeah. I'm all about the maps. Oh, but I think that that's, yeah. that is something you can use to sort of like again. I'll start answering Buzz's question, even though he hears from me enough. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got like a, 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 a satellite image of maybe a cement factory or something, then just distress it in paint shop so it's like a black and white outline. But then you put it in front yeah. of the players and say, "What's this?" Or, you know, you, you oh, might, you might yeah, start yeah, yeah. with, like, this is the cement system that you're in. What's this big building? Yeah. Yeah. What's that for? Why, why is there a big hole here in this wall? Yeah. That kind of so one of the tricks that we stumbled across a billion years ago, I don't know, 30 years ago or something like that, and that we definitely have used to very good effect with our home games of Apocalypse World is a centerpiece. And I love that. Not, not doing minis and, you know, modules and stuff, but if you have a whole bookshelf full of bits of terrain why not use them you know and so i'll put like but i'll make something so that there's something on the table for the players to look at that has kind of the vibe i want for that session and so it'll be like a piece of old you know child's wooden train track and like bits of metal from the road and you know just random crap that feels evocative because it, I find that to be a real assist mm. to the players in the sort of think about Apocalyptica. If there's something on the table that they can look at that is like, that's a that's weird, you know, just like a little juxtaposition of like, what, you know, yeah. it's great. We had a game once where two of the players really dove into like the weird food scarcity ish and brought snacks for the session like, like they went other places in western mass and got like snacks that were not our usual gaming snacks you know like that's that's odd you know and it really was great because it helped um that was like the maestro d's big thing they were going to do we knew, we knew going into the session that it was going to be a session that was about because of where we ended the session before it was like oh this is going to be at the maestro, maestro d's place then we're going to do some things and so the player went away and like showed up with like unusual snacks and it was really cool yeah i played with um scott dorwood who was amongst other things as with color cathedral and stuff but he was actually born in hong kong he speaks with like a perfect flat british accent but when he brings snacks, mm -hmm. it's a lot of Asian stuff. So it's like green mochi balls with like some goo inside and stuff like that. Like me going, kind of, what is this? Just before you play Dead of yeah. Night, which is a horror game and that kind of thing. 
Mm-hmm. This doesn't bode well for what's going to happen to our characters later. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just it's just like another another way to help people. It's another sense, isn't it? Because in, in a lot of role-playing advice, it says use all five senses. Just don't tell people what they see, but what they hear or feel or smell or that kind of stuff. Yes, please. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just saying I remember Dead of Night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Good good friend of mine, Andrew Kenner, all that. Great game. There's great yeah. attention mechanic in that. I really like how it kind of clocks up as you spend your... Uh, yeah. Basically, yeah. what's your plot yeah. immunity, and then the gym needs to interfere with your roles that you've made as a player, and that kind of dynamic of the rule set affecting what you're doing as you're in the narrative and it all feels a bit yeah <laughs> and scott scott runs a game he's like like i say he's got a really nice sort of pleasant how's everybody comfortable in your seat and you know has everybody, has everybody got enough snacks and i'll talk about that and then the game starts you're like, right, right you fucker why did you and this like and he starts screaming at some poor guy at this convention he's like what's happening <laughs> brilliant brilliant he doesn't actually hate you yeah, it's yeah, a great exponent of that kind of method, which I approve of. So we've talked quite a lot about Apocalypse World. It behooves us to talk about Under Hollow Hills, which oh, is, yeah. is just, uh, you know, in the process of being indexed, as, as we're aware. But uh, as this, does this like the culmination of many years of reading other people's PBTA games and your own development? And- uh, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm very sorry to say, to my shame, no. <laughs> Not at all. I've I've read a few. This is a different thing. So what is what is it basically for, for our listeners? Yeah. So Under Hollow Hills is a game in which you play members of a traveling fairy circus, um, and you're putting you're you're performing in the fairy worlds and in the mortal realm and moving between the two. Uh, and the key question there, uh, whereas in Apocalypse World, it's you know what do you make of this this de- this refuse this detritus that's left in in under hollow hills the question is how are we together through when times are easy and when times are hard how are we together this is a very different it's a very different question how do you play it what do you play death is a game or is it gender is definitely a game or is it yeah it is it's uh it's a different toolbox like if you think about Apocalypse World is Metal Shop, and Under Hollow Hills is Wood Shop, and there's tools that look similar, but they're different toolboxes. And I hope that um, I hope that there will be people who look at Under Hollow Hills and do totally new and different things. And I know that like Wonder Home, J Dragon's Wonder Home, already credits Under Hollow Hills instead because it's a ticket to the show. It's not powered yeah. by the Apocalypse. It's a different thing. I'm really, really close to it right now yeah like like literally physically it's hard for me to like (laughs) like this is the manuscript it's like over it's over a ring yeah it's it's, for viewers at home it's about the size of an old yellow pages telephone directory (laughs) (laughs) definitely it's 300 this this isn't like this is single-sided uh it's still over 300 but it's yeah it's going to be 340 pages probably by the time i'm done indexing it like it's it's hefty. A little bigger than Apocalypse World. Just a little bigger than Apocalypse World. But um, we've been working on it for a long time, and about five years. I'm I am very very close to it right now. So I don't know if I can talk about it. Like e- even in the best of times, my way of expressing myself is through the game. <laughs> like if you're like, so tell me about this game. I'm like, like the, game. the game. Here um, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's 340 I don't know. I, don't know. I did. I did my best already. I did my best already. No words left. 
<laughs> yeah, right, exactly. It has some but, things that will be familiar to people. Um, I mean, it, you know, from Powered by the Apocalypse, and you know, it has playbooks and it has moves, but they're plays; they're not moves. So it seems just at a surface level, anyway, like a more whimsical and almost optimistic game, uh, which maybe people need in these current times. Whereas AW yeah, is more yes, kind so. of maybe dark, so. and like people don't need more apocalypse in their lives. We're living it already. Yes, yeah. that is yeah very much the case. For sure. Very much the case. You know, and and the question of how do we treat each other when times are when times are bad, like that that is a really relevant question right now. You yeah. Know? How do we treat each other when times are good is good, but how do we treat each other when times are bad? How do we take care of each other? How do we how do we how do we get through together? Yeah. And you know, we're in it together. So, so you play the the performers and crew of the circus and. Um, one of the things I've been thinking about and trying to figure out how to talk about is, you know, if I'm watching a, it's, if I'm watching a TV show, right, I'm enjoying the show, but I'm trying to think of an example where the TV show is the actors and the show. You know what I mean? Oh, like, um, say Slings and Arrows, which is a TV show about a Shakespearean acting company. Acting company. And includes parts of the shows, but mostly is the back backstage stuff. Yeah. And Under Hollow Hills is really like that. 30, where the did Thirty Rock have some of that? Thirty Rock, yeah. Like other, maybe maybe some Thirty Rock. Yeah. Some any anything where the the premise is this is a group of people performing something or putting doing a show. Or something. <laughs> you you might not know the reference, but I'm thinking it ain't half hot mum, which is a sitcom <laughs> from the UK. <laughs> don't know it. If you don't know the reference. Look it up. You'll understand why I'm looking bemused. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It, it, it's content warning itself. It's time. <laughs> I, I have the perfect, the perfect reference, the perfect example. It's like the Muppet Show. Hey, um, we can all get behind the Muppet yeah. Show. <laughs> yeah. And and so, you know, the relationships of the of the if, as the GM, like my job in this game, if I'm the GM, is to yes. enjoy the show. Yeah. Um, and like I I create an interesting place for the circus to perform and I create an interesting audience for the circus to perform for. And then I sit back and I, you know, I present the place and they explore it and figure out, get the lay of the land and figure out who wants what from them. And I'm, you know, involved in that process and it's really fun. And then they put on the show and we see what happens to the place. They have, the circus has enormous power to turn things on its head and change who's in power and who's like, yep. whether the seasons proceed or go the wrong direction. Like the circus really, the circus's it's performance it's a changes bunch of fairy the, folk, the, you know? <laughs> the place. Um, but my job as the GM is really to enjoy the show, and it's to enjoy both shows. It's yeah. to enjoy the show of the behind-the-scenes backstage of the circus getting ready and the, the intrigues and the... Relationships race, and the... The, you know, the comedy and all horror the stuff and everything. And then to enjoy the circus performance. Because each, each playbook has acts that they can perform in the circus, you know, listing off like this playbook could be the ringmaster or an aerialist or a, you know, sword swallower, sword swallower as, as needed sort of thing. Yeah. So when you're setting up your show, that's part of the conversation, the backstage conversation is like, all right, we're here, we're at the palace of the river queen, the ice is still frozen. And that's kind of being a problem because it's June. All right. Uh, I guess, you do a 
like a thing where you're juggling fire that would be cool and i'll do this thing and then we'll do that thing and then we perform the show and see how it goes yeah it's very exciting i am really excited about it and it's been a, a very long strange trip because of all of COVID that's happened. 20, we, we were... <laughs> we we kickstarted it 20... the, the fall before. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Is, is that right? 2019? 2019. It? I've lost all track of time. I can't remember. Yeah. It was, last no, year, it was, 20... it was it fall up. of 2018. It was fall of 2018 because... No. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, like it's, impo it's impossible. It's impossible to find you're out. Right. Nobody, you're right. nobody knows the answer to That's all we need to know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but like, that's the thing. We've had 18 months of time being weird, right? And that between everything taking three to five times longer physically, like to go a place and purchase a thing and, you know, all that, or mentally in terms of the effort to navigate everything, it's, it's taken a long time. But, you know, the circus arrives exactly when it intends to. So there you go. Very good. So I have got a sort of general RPG question. I wonder if you've got an opinion on. I'm sure you have at least three. This kind of like one of the perennial things that comes up is D and D a good, mm -hmm. force for good or evil, Omar. So it's like my sort of view is that a rising tide lifts all boats. So as long as the flagship product's doing well, then it sort of helps other people. But as an independent game design couple, <laughs> what do you think about this? I, I suspect Vincent's got an answer. I, I feel it. I <laughs> depend on people who are not satisfied with D&D. Yeah. So the more players there are in D&D and the worse D&D is, the happier I am. You said that out loud, Vincent? You don't usually say that out loud on a podcast. I, I know. Oh, my God. We must really really be missing after hours at conventions for Vincent to have said that yeah. do you want him to edit that out? no I, I don't um <laughs> what I will say is that you don't get into this business if you hate D&D &D. like yeah what? like we, 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 I, I'm here because I love D&D &D. yeah you like know. I was running AD&D &D up until last year for a couple of young folks across the way and you know it's super super fun I was running Keep of the Borderlands you know straight out module with some modifications because it's interesting. It wouldn't be D and D if you were running right? straight. Like, there you go. Fine. True. You started out with someone's tied to a chair, and a troll comes in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Keep of the Borderlands does have a whole bunch of possibilities for that. We'll say, but yeah, it was great. Like, it's great fun, and like we we both grew up playing D and D and everything else we could get our hands on. When when we were at that horror convention everybody we met they already knew what they were doing thursday night and it was yeah. not playing our games and so like every role player is a like the the bigger the D, &D audience uh the bigger our audience i'm pretty sure yeah i just want more intersection between all the games that like if you're playing a board game for three hours you could play a one shot of a role playing game in three hours and that'd be fine you'd have a blast you know if you're gonna go and play a pickup game of soccer all afternoon you definitely could sit down and play a little something for a bit. It's not so different. And that's like another piece from my background of like where I draw inspiration for game design, all of that, you know, it's why I brought up uh, nursery rhymes is because play is really, it's, it's our mammalian right <laughs> to play and we can't not, it's how we make sense of our world in so many ways. And so if you, if you play anything, you know, video games, 
running around games, card games, role-playing games. If you play anything, your capacity to play any other type of game already exists. And so my hope is that with you know, more role-playing games and different types of role-playing games, that everybody has an opportunity for more play in their life because heaven knows we need it, you know? It's so easy as adults to get to this place where, you know, we're supposed to put away childish things and it takes so much work to get back to play. It's really hard. And it's a little bit heartbreaking for me to have people say, oh, I don't, I don't do that sort of thing. Like, why not? It's fun. <laughs> yeah, right there with you. Absolutely. So uh, I think we're, we're, we're probably about time and should let you go soon. But one of the questions we always ask our guests is, is there anything that you're playing of someone else's or anything you've got your eye on other games perhaps that you might want to recommend that other people check out? Our kids are playing the heck out of our friend's um, game Super, Super Destiny D- High School Rumble. <laughs> yeah. What's it about? <laughs> uh- <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a really cool PBTA game. All the playbooks are too, so you, you have the class clown or the shy one or the teacher's pet, and then you also have the mech pilot or the sorcerer or the vampire king. And so you match and so them you, up. Like, I'm the teacher's pet vampire king or whatever. Yeah, it's, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm, um, I'm really interested about um, The Price of Coal, which is um, kickstarting. Kickstarting or, right now. Yeah, The Price of Coal is uh, about... Um, coal miners strike in the 40s and particular like it's set in a very particular time and place in history and i think that is a wonderful place of game design and i'm really intrigued in the different ways that game design role-playing games allow people to investigate history in, in different ways that they haven't before and so like rosenstrasse is amazing and night witches is amazing and a ton of other History focused games are yeah. really great. But Steal Away Jordan. Steal Away Jordan. Oh my goodness. Goodness, that game. Price of Coal is what I'm really interested in coming up right yeah. now. We're playtesting our friend Emily Carabas's game called The World's Problems, which is based on the old the old TV show Sandbaggers, BBC oh, show. Brilliant. Sandbaggers. Oh, what? Yeah. yeah. Sandbaggers. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I love it. It is. It's, oh, it's, it's her her game is <laughs> her game is so good. Like the director of the foreign office his son has gone with his girlfriend it's set in the 80s set in the cold war yeah. mm-hmm. his gone his his son has gone to uh east berlin with his girlfriend and we don't know whether he's going to defect or not yeah and so we, we are to go gonna we have to go him? we have to go find out whether he's on a hot weekend or uh, a really hot a, weekend. a really serious problem for the director of the anyway it's a mess if you can't get him out then he really shouldn't be allowed to carry on walking around. I right, know. he really shouldn't. Aww. We we have this thing where, you know, we're riding the subways of Berlin and, and like we've set it up with the, the Berlin station where if, I, if I'm wearing my hat, that means they have to put a gun in the drop box. <laughs> it's so bad. And then simultaneously we're working on this other thing where there's a science fair in Paris and someone who's come from somewhere russia somewhere in the is a, a science she might be there like a science whiz kid yeah. who might want to defect she might want to be defect or we might be able to collect her as an asset but she might just be there for the science fair we don't know that either so that's our two current problems in the world's problems yeah. 
But that that game's in in like middle play Middle play I, I hope it's available soon. We'll so find out. Yeah. Excited. Yeah. It's really fun. It's so good. <laughs> it's very much so, like the show. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, it has been a delight to speak to you. Thanks very much for coming on. Sure. Thanks for having us. We've had a great time. Yeah. And uh, maybe in the future, we'll get a game of Apocalypse World and they can release that for a I would love that. I think that <laughs> sounds like a good really time. fun. Thanks, Meg. Thanks, Vincent. Yeah. Yeah, you bet.